0: Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that it is your spirit that reveals truth to us. It is your spirit that enables us to accept your word. And it's your spirit that transforms us. And so, Father, as we open up your word now, as we look at these things, we pray that your spirit would be at work. That it would be changing us to be more like the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. it was about this time last year that I was uh, looking through job adverts in the Christian press uh, when I came across one for a pastor. Uh, After an incredibly long and daunting job description, uh, this advert concluded, the preferred candidate will have great leadership skills, excellent teaching skills, drive with an ability to inspire others exceptional relational skills and a master's degree or equivalent. I didn't even bother applying for that particular job. Uh, I'm not even sure that Paul would have uh, made it through their selection process. Um, but, But I imagine it's the kind of job that the Corinthians might have written, might have been proud of. We've seen over the past few weeks, haven't we, that the Corinthians, they were obsessed with being led by strong, dynamic, inspirational leaders. They thought that gifted and talented leaders were the keys to success in the church. But we've also seen that Paul thought quite differently. Last week, we saw in chapter 3 that he told the Corinthians, judging church leaders by worldly standards was immature, it was childish. And this week, as I've just said, Paul carries on the conversation about leaders. In chapter 4, he points to his own life and ministry as the example. And in doing so, he wants to show the Corinthians and us what true leadership, true Christian leadership, is all about. And the first thing he says is that Christian leaders should be faithful servants of Christ. Leaders must be faithful servants of Christ. Last week in chapter 3, we heard him say in 3 verse 2, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. And now here in 4 verse 1, he writes, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ. It's unmissable, isn't it? Paul says, leaders are servants They're under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are servants. Christ is their master. And as their master, second half of verse 1, Jesus has entrusted them with the mysteries of God. Uh, Which is just Paul's way of talking about the gospel. And so the best way to think about what he's saying here is to think of a, a rich landowner. In Paul's day, uh, the landowner would have entrusted his estate to his servants, uh, to a particular servant. Uh, That servant would have had the responsibility for administering everything to do with the master's household. Uh, The budget, the grounds, the running of the house, it would have all been under the responsibility of that servant. Uh, But it would all have been within the guidelines agreed by the head of the house by the master and so paul is saying that christ is the master he's given him a job to do the job of administering the mysteries of god he's to carry out the will of his master the lord jesus and that will or that is to make known the gospel to the world and so Paul, as a servant, he's not free here to define his ministry as he wants to. He's not free to change the message to one that he would like to preach. No, he's not free to do any of those things. Verse 2, he is to be faithful in his task. Just look at verse 2. Now, it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Those in positions of leadership, those entrusted with the gospel, are required by God to be faithful to the task God has given them. That's what they'll be judged on. And so that is what matters. The Corinthians, though, they'd forgotten all about that. They'd forgotten the servant status of their leaders. And so, as we've seen, they were less concerned about faithfulness and more concerned with the flashiness of their leaders. As a result, they'd taken it upon themselves to pass judgment on Paul. And according to their worldly criteria, they'd found him to be inadequate, not quite up to the job. But Paul doesn't really care what they think. Verse 3, he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul knows that at the end of the day, it is God who will judge. And so it's only God's opinion of his ministry that really matters. Verse 5, only God sees the motives of a person's heart. And that means only God is qualified to be judge. And so if you were here with us Last week, I hope you can see that in these first five verses, Paul is simply applying chapter three to himself. Remember, he said, leaders are servants. They're called to be faithful and they'll be judged by God. And here in chapter four, he's just saying, all of that is true for me. And it's true for any who would call themselves leaders. Which means the big question for us right at the start of chapter four is what do you want or what do you expect from your leaders? It's easy for us to say the right answer, isn't it? To say we want them to be faithful. But how often do we judge according to other criteria? How often do we talk about preachers, uh, their their delivery style, or or their intellect, or, or their personality, before we talk about whether they are faithful to God's Word. One of the best things we can do as a church family is pray for the leaders of this church, for those who teach at any age or stage, to pray for them, to encourage them in being faithful to God's Word. That is what they've been called to do. That is what God will judge them on. Our leaders are servants of Christ. They're called to be faithful to the gospel, faithful to the message that God has entrusted to them. That's the first thing Paul wants them to see. The second is that leaders are foolish followers of Christ. Leaders are foolish followers of Christ. All the way through chapters 3 and 4, Paul has been trying to correct the Corinthians' view of their leaders. In verse 6, he says that he points to himself and Apollos as examples of, for the Corinthians' benefit. His aim in doing that is there in verses 6 and 7. It's to stop them getting puffed up. The Corinthians, they're arrogant, aren't they? They're proud of themselves. And so Paul says in verse 7, no, no you've, got, you've got it all wrong. You've got it all wrong. You've got a completely wrong opinion of yourselves. Your boasting shows Uh, that you've forgotten that all that you have, all that you are, has been given to you. We saw that back in chapter 1, in Paul's thankfulness section at the start of the letter. They have been given everything by Christ. Uh, Last week we saw it as well, didn't we? Paul said they have all things in Christ. Uh, And so here, it's as though they've kind of got half of that. Uh, They've got the bit about having all things but forgotten a bit about it being in Christ. They think it's a result of their own wisdom, their own ability, and so they pat themselves on the back. They're proud. They're boastful. But more than that, more than that, because their high view of themselves means that they think they've left foolish Paul and his weak little ministry behind them. And so in verse 8, Paul sarcastically says, already you have all that you want. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign. And that without us. Do you see? The Corinthians, they think they've made it. They, They look at themselves, they look at their gifts and their abilities, and they think they've reached some sort of peak spirituality. They think they've already reached glory. And so their leaders, well, they kind of just strutted around moving from one victory to another. Suffering, pain, hardship, no. No, those were things of the past for these super spiritual leaders. But again, Paul says, no. No, you've got it all wrong. He says, true leadership is cross-shaped. The life of a leader, the life of Any Christian, in fact, is not powerful and impressive, but foolish and weak. Look at verse 9. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ. But you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, and we are dishonored. You see, Paul, he looks forward to the day when Christ will return. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 8. He longs for that day. He looks forward to the day when he'll see Christ in all his glory and when he will reign with him forever. But he also knows that is not yet his experience. And nor should he expect it to be. In fact, Paul says his experience in this life is is much more like that of a slave in the gladiator's arena than a king on a throne. Verse 9, he says that the apostles, they're, they're like captives brought into the arena at the end of a Roman army's victory parade brought out to be mocked and spat on and beaten and then killed whilst everyone applauds and cheers. He contrasts himself with the Corinthians in verse 10 and I think his point is clear. No Christian, especially no Christian leader, should expect honour and glory now. If we're faithful servants of Christ then the world will dishonor us. It'll think we are fools. And it's important as well that we see that this is not a mistake on God's part. It isn't an unfortunate error on God's behalf that Christians are not accepted and welcomed with open arms in our society. You see that in verse 9? It was God who put the apostles on display. It was God who made a cosmic spectacle of their suffering. Christians should not expect glory now because they follow in the footsteps of a crucified Christ. The night before his crucifixion, Jesus tells his disciples exactly what they should expect in this life. John chapter 15, Jesus says to them, As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than its master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If we are servants of Christ... Then we should expect to follow in the footsteps of our Master. We should expect to go the way of the cross. That's what we see there in verses 11 to 13. Paul says he's prepared to go without food, without drink and clothes and a home in order to be faithful to Christ. He's prepared to be treated brutally for the sake of Christ. Verse 12, he says, when we are cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. Because he knew that in following and proclaiming a crucified saviour, verse 13, he would be the scum of the earth, the garbage of this world. And so the mark of a true leader in God's church, Paul says, is someone who's been willing to be, who is willing to be considered a fool for Christ. As someone who will keep on preaching the gospel, who will stay a servant of Christ, faithful, even if that means they are scum in the eyes of the world. True leaders aren't people with over-inflated egos or those who demand respect or admiration from people. No, they are people who humbly follow in the footsteps of their master. People who willingly put aside reputation, comfort, admiration, all for the sake of Christ. And that's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge to us here this evening. A challenge to look for and encourage Christ-like character before we start talking about whether or not someone is a good communicator or a strategic thinker. It's also a challenge when we think about our own suffering for the gospel. You see, if you're anything like me, and as you read these words in chapter 4, you just read them and think, if I'm honest, that just isn't my experience I don't really know how to relate to what Paul is saying here. It's just not something that I've come across. There might be all sorts of reasons for that. But perhaps one of them is partly because we are far more like the Corinthians than we'd like to think. As we enjoy the comforts of life in the West and we face very little real persecution, we can think we've made it. We're already reigning. Life is good. So why rock the boat? But as one commentator puts it, perhaps if we were more, truly more like our Lord, or perhaps if we stood more often in opposition to the status quo with its worldly wisdom, then we too would know more about what it means to be scum in the eyes of the world. And so again, as Paul points to himself as the example, the big question for us is, are we willing to be considered fools for Christ? Or are we maybe more Corinthian in our attitude towards this life than we would like to think? True leaders, they are faithful servants of Christ. They are foolish followers of Christ. And finally, Paul says, they are loving examples to the church. They're loving examples to the church. You've probably picked up as we've gone through uh, this letter that Paul isn't really messing around with the Corinthians, is he? He's saying some pretty hard things to them. Last week he called them childish, worldly, immature babies. And so the letter must have been pretty hard to hear for many of the Corinthians. But in verse 14, we just get a brief glimpse into Paul's heart as he writes the letter. Look at verse 14. He says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. As harsh and as hard as some of this letter might seem, Paul says he writes to them out of love. Verse 15, he writes as a father. You see, Paul had brought the gospel to Corinth. He had preached Christ to them out of love. He'd seen some come to faith and and grow as Christians. And so he was sort of like a spiritual dad to them. He cared about them. He loved them. And now as he sees his beloved children in danger, in danger of moving away from the gospel, he has to act. He must step in and stop what they're doing. How does he do that? Well, first first he he tells them to stop imitating the world and start imitating him. Verse 16, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Now, when I first read that, it, it seemed a little odd. Paul has just spent four chapters hammering the Corinthians for being proud and boastful. And now he says, do you know what you should do? You should be more like me. You should imitate me. But but before we think Paul has just gone a bit Corinthian on us, remember what kind of example he's been setting. He's a fool for Christ, utterly committed to walking in the footsteps of his master. Verse 17, he says he sends Timothy to remind them of his way of life in Christ. And so what Paul is doing is he's urging the Corinthians to be more like himself, but What he's actually doing is urging them to be more like Jesus. He says exactly that later on in chapter 11. 11 verse 1, he says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul wants them to imitate him because in doing so they will be more like Christ. And so I wonder, is that something you think you could say to someone else? if you're a leader in this church, whether that's in Sunday school or youth groups or Bible studies or life groups or harbor, wherever that is, could you ever, do you ever say to the people that you lead, imitate me? Follow me as I follow Christ." Or to put it another way, as Paul does at the end of verse 17, does your life match your teaching or is your leadership more a case of do what i say not what i do i think this actually applies to all of us here this evening whether we're in an official leadership position or not all of us should want to be an example to those around us not so that we can boast in ourselves and and pat ourselves on the back as the corinthians were doing No, no, it's in order to help each other live more like the Lord Jesus. In other words, we all need to help one another grow in Christ-likeness. And so can I encourage you to to be in relationships where you are modelling Christ to other people, and also where Christ is being modelled to you. Maybe you could find an older Christian to, to mentor you, uh, to meet with you from time to time uh, and encourage you in following Jesus. Maybe you could do that for a younger Christian. Uh, maybe there's someone in the church that you could seek out and start meeting with. Uh, do you know, it might, it might even be as simple as committing to talking with and encouraging a particular person every Sunday after the service. It will look different for all of us. But whoever we are, we can ask God to help us live Christ-centered lives so that we would be an example to those around us. That is Paul's heart. That, That is his desire here in 1 Corinthians. He was a faithful servant of the gospel. He stuck to the message of Christ crucified, even though it seemed weak and foolish in the world's eyes. He wanted to be a faithful servant. And he was a foolish follower of Christ. His life matched his teaching. He followed in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus, the one who was considered scum by the world, the one who was hated and rejected to the point of death. Jesus was Paul's pattern, Jesus was Paul's model. And so at the end of this section, at the end of chapters 1 to 4, that is the message and the model that he is calling the Corinthians back to. He wants them and he wants us to stop running after the things the world says are powerful and wise. And instead he wants us to stick to a Christ-centered message and a cross-shaped life. Because, he says, that is where true power is found. In verses 18 and 19, he says that despite the arrogant boasts of the Corinthian leaders, despite all their clever words and fancy preaching, in the end, he's going to come and he will expose them. In the end, he'll show them to be empty, useless, powerless. Because as we saw... Right at the start, back in chapter 1, true power, God's power is found in the foolish message of Christ crucified. Just flick back to chapter 1 verse 18 as we close. 1 verse 18, Paul writes, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved It is the power of God. Stick with the message of the cross, Paul says. No matter what the world thinks of you, that is where true power is found. That is where God's power is found. The power to change people's hearts, to bring them from death to life, from guilty to forgiven, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. That is true power. Don't move away from it. Corinthians, stick with the gospel. Stick with Christ crucified. Chessington, stick with the gospel. Stick with Christ crucified. Let's ask God to help us keep that message central in all that we do. Let's pray. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message of the cross. Thank you that through what seems so weak, so foolish, so insignificant and worthless to the world, you have saved people for yourself. Thank you that it is your power to transform lives, to transform hearts, so that we would love and live for you. Father, please help us to cling to that message, to stick to it, and to make it known to the people around us. For Jesus' name's sake we pray. Amen.